14. Hello, and welcome to episode 171 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. Patrick is muted. <laughs> I'm Joel. Uh, we, we got totally thrown off there. When you mute yourself, it cuts out the theme song. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but I was just waiting for you. Oh, uh, well, you, know, uh, you were muted, Pat. No, I wasn't, actually. Oh. So, so yeah, something else went wrong then. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, can, can we count it down and start? <laughs> All right. Because we are so I, far off. I was definitely not muted, so, yeah, that was another problem then. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and tonight we will be talking about a dark time in the Empire. Everything was terrible, and there were doubts over whether anyone would even survive. We'll also be talking about Rogue One. (laughs) Yeah. So oh, yes. you guys saw that coming. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So we were. Let's, looking... hope, let's hope Lumpy doesn't survive. <laughs> I don't need. I think we. I think we know Itchy isn't going to. But... Yeah. Eventually, it's his gonna, chin is. Gonna he's going to fall. Gonna fall off that airplane wing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we uh, we're looking for a reason to go see Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, let's just not be shameless. Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're looking for a reason to go see Rogue One. We're like, hey, what about things that happened for Star Wars in the December and Christmas time? How about we yeah. watch the holiday we were kind special? Of, kind of caught because this is our last show of the year. We didn't do a Christmas theme show, but we were gonna see and talk about Rogue One. Yeah. So unfortunately the good must come with the bad, so we watched the Star Wars holiday special, which I think And how bad could it really be? I mean, you know, we learned from the facts of life. You know, if you take the good, you got to take the bad. Happy Life Day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so if you're celebrating Life Day at noon on Saturdays and want to skip out on that, you can listen to us (laughs) at Geek Life 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 Radio, 12 o'clock noon on Saturdays. And if you'd like to check out similar shows, you can always go to the Podcast Collective where you will find the Bad Parenting Podcast, On the Block, No Hope for Humanity, The Coffin Joe Cast, The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, Dating Baggage, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, I Am Salt Lake, Mint in Box Cast, Tales from the Hard Side, The Dog and Do Show, The Empty Rant Podcast, The Portland Beer Club Podcast, and The Rad Dad Radio Hour. All right. Okay, here, here's my new question. What in the world is I Am Salt Lake? Listen and find out, dude. Yeah, yeah No. <laughs> I, I thought I looked that one up. I thought it was like slice of life interviewing people from Salt Lake City, Utah. Like, yeah. Yes. So there's a lot there's of a Mormon, podcast. a lot of Mormon talk in there. No, there's a big podcast community in Salt Lake. What really? Well, what That's else are you going to yes. do? You can't drink. That's true. It's beautiful there. You can't have sex without your special underwear. Oh boy. <laughs> All my underwear is special. Love you, Salt Lake. Because <laughs> it's protecting my cog. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so See, now, you, where was Joel with that when uh, I was looking for a transition? It's like, if you'd like to protect your cock. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'd like to go back and 
Here's some <laughs> no, of our older okay. stuff. We'll do, we go, go back in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you'd like to give us a call, it's 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727, as some people have done. Yeah, we've got voicemails this week. Yeah, we'll voice one, Yay. voicemail. This is from Slacker. Yeah, Slacker Jedi. Hey. Hey, guys, it's Slacker. Um, there's been a disturbance in the Force, and I've heard you guys are having to watch the holiday special, the Star Wars holiday special. I don't know which one of you guys thought that was a good idea, but I hope now you've all seen it and learned a lesson from it. Except for the little part with Boba Fett, it all can go blow a Rancor's dick. It's horrible. It's pathetic. It has B. Arthur. What the fuck? The only thing we can learn from the holiday special is the fact that George Lucas used to do a lot of drugs, and apparently bad ones. Ah, I'm still reeling from watching that. The only, the one and only time I've ever seen it. I'm still having nightmares, and I saw it in 1970 fucking seven. God damn, that's horrible. I'm sorry for you guys. I'm glad you guys do your show. I love your show. I'm glad you guys watch shit and tell us about it. But there's just some things you can let go. God. <laughs> oh, sorry guys. But uh, oh, another note. Merry Christmas. You guys have a great year. Bye. Yeah, this was maybe not my finest hour when it comes to show topics. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. I'll, I'll step in front of that bullet. I, that, that, this one was my idea. Well, I wasn't going to point fingers, but yeah. Well, Josh will take the blame, but we're still going to point the finger at Joel. <laughs> I didn't suggest it. It cannot be worse than that fucking Mockbusters bullshit. That's still, what you- <laughs> That's still the worst thing I've ever seen for this show. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, not ever. No, not ever. That that list you don't want to see. I'm not sure it's the worst thing I've seen this year, but let's let's talk about it a little, shall we? Yeah. Or no, wait, no, before no. that, it's yeah, that I time. think it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. Are you are you saying and sports in that or is that a recording? I'm not sure. No, that was me that time. Oh, okay. that's our lumpy. So this week, this weekend is lost on my screen. Where did it go? November, November 17th, 1978. Yes, the release you. of the Star Wars Christmas special. Holiday. Oh, holiday special. Yeah. Just in time for Thanksgiving. The Life Day Which, special. Yep. I think it's interesting that Slacker started in 77, so he must have had an in. <laughs> I wasn't going to comment on that, but yeah, I, I noticed uh, that too. He was actually in it. He played a barrel. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no, Slacker. Slacker was in it. He was, he, was, he was hanging out with Art Carney at the time. And Art <laughs> Carney's like, hey, we need a barrel for my, for my uh, shop. You want to be a barrel? And then I've it got was a very low-cut V-neck shirt. Yeah, then it was Slacker's turn in the barrel. Oh, that's Thursday. So music. Music. <laughs> the number one song in America is, for some reason, MacArthur Park by Donna Summer, who left her cake out in the rain. Wait. <laughs> it was originally MacArthur, uh, Donna Summer, I mean? No, 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 no. Richard Harris did it originally. This is oh, okay. a, one of many covers for some reason. Why in God's name would you recover? Would do a cover I of that song? I don't know. A, that, that is possibly the worst song that's ever been number one in America. 
Right. She could have done like Winchester Cathedral or something. I have a confession to make. I, I don't hate MacArthur Park. Uh, I, I recognize it's a terrible song. I'll get that out of the way. But for some reason, I kind of like it anyway. Oh, are you. Just Josh left his kick out on the rain, too. It came on the radio once, and the, I'm like, girls, listen I to the words. Depressed. I was like, girls, listen to the words of this song. And he's like, why would you have a cake outside anyway? I I'm, I don't get this. It's like, you were ready for the mind blowing part? This is being sung by Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And for some reason, if your cake is ruined by the weather, you can't ever make it again because the recipe's gone. Yeah. yeah. That's what you get yeah, for sure. writing it on sugar paper. And after that, before. That song is just so stupid in so many ways. It came to his mind when he was when he was doing the uh, movie A Man Called Horse, when they hung him by his nipples. That's the scene that he thought of the song in. It was a basketball movie, wasn't it? Is that a real story? Did, did that actually... Oh, yeah, totally. He's all like... Right. That, that tone, I don't know if that was, like, you know, all bullshit or not. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, to- oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> November 22nd was the birth of Karen O, American singer and member of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. On November 21st, French pop star Dalida performed a concert at New York's Carnegie Hall. Wait, what's a Dalida? I don't know. It's when you erase something. No, she's known. Her real name is Yolanda Cristina Gigliotti. That's what I said. She was Egyptian-born Italian-French singer. What the hell? She's like a buffet. Right. Delicious buffet. On November 13th, Nikolai Freitier, bassist of the American rock band The Strokes, was born. Ah. Yeah, I'm a fan of The Strokes. Yeah. Yeah, more than of Delita or the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I'm a fan of Strokes. I thought you liked the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. They're all right. I I don't hate them. Strokes, too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. What? For for falling on that knife. (laughs) Was that insensitive? I'm sorry. Nope. I was thinking it. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to movies. Ashley Churchill Williams Dodson was born November 12th, an American actress known for her roles in Good Morning Miami, Snow, Snow 2 Brain Freeze, and Montana Sky, and for her appearances on How I Met Your Mother. She's a hottie. Snow? I'm not sure I know who she is. She's definitely a cutie. Kimberly Williams' sister, I believe. Hmm. You mean the rapper Snow? To know me that it is only I'll go blame. I like it, boom, boom, down. Yeah, I don't think they gave him a movie. No, it was it was like a made-for-TV movie franchise. Terrible. Huh. Okay. Also, Claude Dauphin was a French actor that appeared in more than 130 films between 1930 and 1978, including Les Miserables. He died November 16th of not being alive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't come up with anything real witty on that one, huh, Pat? You didn't say anything in Wikipedia other than he died. I'm like, all right. And Jesus wins again. <laughs> God is still undefeated. Yep. Also, well, no, actually, apparently he's 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 like a zillion to two. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe E. Bell, a New Zealand stunt woman and actress whose most notable stunt work includes doubling for Lucy Lawless in Xena Warrior Princess and for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill, was born on November 17th. As an actress, she is probably most recognized for playing herself in the Quentin Tarantino film Death Proof. In 2015, she appeared as an actress in Tarantino's eighth feature film, The Hateful Eight. That's She's a really confusing trilogy right there. Because you've got the Ridiculous Six, the Magnificent Seven, and the Hateful Eight. 
and I don't know what the hell's going after I watched all three of them. <laughs> and then Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah, and then I was then like... <laughs> don't forget 7. Oh, we already did 7. Yeah. Damn it! <laughs> Alright, so TV. <clears throat> the top shows in the land are Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, Mork and Mindy, and followed up by Happy Days because... Happy Days is responsible for two of those shows. You guess which one. Go ahead. We do this every time it comes up. I know. Three's Company. Guess. Come on, knock on our door. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, The American Girls ends after only one season and six episodes, which stars a one David Spielberg, no relation, who began his film and TV career with The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds which is, honest to God, a real movie. Yeah, and Mike tried to make it the acronym of the week. Yeah. <laughs> and Josh told me where I could stick that. So, <laughs> Which, of course, was directed by Paul Newman, which why brings up many troubling questions. So, why, why, of course, Paul Newman? Yeah, why not? I mean, in the effect of... You're the one that wrote it? I just wonder why you I, used that phrasing. The entire movie shot inside a spaghetti sauce jar. <laughs> With a sombrero. <laughs> And the proceeds went to charity. Anyway. <laughs> uh, November 24th sees the birth of Catherine Hagel, now known for Grey's Anatomy and Knocked Up. And she's a cutie, too. Not known for much else because apparently she is not a joy to work with. Yeah, and she kind of burns her bridges wherever she goes. Yep. Well, remind me not to go on a road trip with her. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Joel, hit it. Yeah. Yeah, what? <laughs> Joel, Joel, get out of Mike. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Again. And we're here. Hey, the, you know the who? The power else? of Susie compels you. <laughs> you know who else is here? Nadine E. Velasquez is an American actress and a model what? known whoa, for. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't let that go. What? Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Velasquez. Na- Na- Nadine Velasquez. Nadine. What did I say? You said I don't Velasquez. know, but it was not Nadine. It was Francis. <laughs> so, either way, so she plays... What are these names this week? Catalina Aruca on My Name is Earl and Sophia Ruxin of the Teddy Ruxpins on The League. Nick, Nick Kroll's wife. Yes. Yes. She is also a cast member on the TV series Major Crimes and was born November 20th in Chicago, Illinois, after graduating from the acronym of the week, which is NDHSFG. Which, of course, is the National Dick Holster School for Grandmothers. <laughs> uh, you're not too far off, because it's the Notre Dame High School for Girls. So, uh, yeah. Hit it, Joel. <laughs> that's, the alum- that's the alumni group for them. <laughs> uh, she earned a BA in marketing from Columbia College in Chicago in 2001. So there's a chance that Joel went to school with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's very true. That's why I included that. And sports. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was the end of that then. Uh, November 18th was the miracle at the Meadowlands when the Philadelphia Eagles' Herman Edwards returns a fumble for a touchdown with 31 seconds left to give Philadelphia a 1917 victory over their rival, New York Giants. A sports event so famous that even I knew what it was. Yep. Hmm. Very, very famous. On November 22nd, Bob Horner of the Braves wins the National League Rookie of the Year Award. And 
The last is um, a, a very, very well-known boxer, a sports figure of note. James Joseph Jean Tunney was an American professional boxer who competed from 1915 to 1928. Uh-oh. Hell of a match. He held the world heavyweight title from 1926 to 1928 and the American light heavyweight title twice from 1922 to 1923. A highly technical boxer, Tunney had a five-fight rivalry with Harry Greb in which he won three, drew once, and had one loss. He also knocked out George Carpentier and defeated Jack Dempsey twice, first in 1926 and again in 1927. Tunney's successful title defense against Dempsey remains one of the most famous bouts in boxing history and is known as the Long Count Fight. He retired undefeated as a heavyweight after his victory over Tom Heaney in 1928, after which Tunney was named Fighter of the Year by The Ring magazine. Okay, I'm guessing he died this week? Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a novel about him, but nothing that connects him to this weekend. Yeah, God got the big TKO in the end. Exactly. I forgot to include that, but yes, he did. He did die. To do. Well, when I saw 1915 to 1928, I'm like, it doesn't look so good for Gene Tunney. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Yep. Is Let's something... start with the then. <laughs> yes, the then. All right. That this, was the then. This is Moving this on. is the thing that we watched. Want to take a break? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, after all, we sat through it. Yeah, True. we might as well hate all that for nothing. Um. So, the then. Star Wars Holiday Special. Chewbacca and Han Solo try to get home to Chewie's family to celebrate Life Day, which includes various forms of entertainment. With air quotes. <laughs> Right there. Yeah, I added the quotes. Yeah, definitely should have. Um, this is directed by a one Steve Binder, who's known for the Chevy Chase show. Father Guido Sarducci goes to college and the Eddie Rabbit special. Oh. Mm-hmm. That was a classic. Also, uh, David Okumba, who's known for something called Slipstream and another thing called Strawberry Ice. Okumba, Okumba. My that, that Strawberry Ice is a type of uh, weed that he grew so it no oh, actually strawberry ice is a kind of weed but i don't know what it is in his credits there it's a t- i was gonna say it's a tv movie about weed skating <laughs> like ice skating oh, oh, but yeah oh uh, uh, ice skating never mind and weed um no, right you said it was about skating i'm like yeah weed <laughs> <laughs> so the writing credits uh pat proft who's done uh police academy hot shots part do and real genius all pretty good movies. Yeah. And this yeah. is the thing. Leonard Rips, who has written for the movie uh, Frankenweenie and Full House. Uh, Ron Warren, this gets a little weird, uh, who's known for writing for Donnie and Marie. And Perry Como's Christmas in New York and Christmas in New England. Or no, in England, not New England. <laughs> That's not strange to me at all, considering what we saw. Well, I think it, it's... You're seeing a crossover of the generations on here, right? Yeah. Uh, and Bruce Valanche, who's known for being Bruce Valanche and resembling a muskox. <laughs> I never thought of it, but you're right. Yeah, he does. Muskox or a... Um... Bruce Valanche is the closest thing we have to a living Muppet in this world. Yes. Yeah. And I believe he also was a writer on Carol Burnett. Yeah, he did. He did. He was, yes. And also was Mitzi Welsh, who also wrote for The Carol Burnett Show. Um, the animation for the, uh, the Boba Fett cartoon, which I had issue with, uh, was done by a company called Nelvana. You may know it. They're the, uh, the company that has the, 
the closing logo is a bear looking at the North Star. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they're known for a, back then, the Devil and Daniel Mouse, and for also a cartoon version of Sam and Max, and a TV show called The Day My Butt Went Psycho. Oh, classic. Never heard of it. Yeah, I I know apparently that's a thing. That's on my queue in Netflix. <laughs> that's yeah. your whole queue. That's one thing. That's it. it. Yeah, 17 copies of that. <laughs> uh, starring Mark Hamill and all the makeup. As yeah. Luke's- <laughs> all that guy liner, <laughs> all the rouge one. <laughs> As Josh pointed, I out. think I think what I don't know which one of my girls said it, but when he came on, she was like, "Is Luke Skywalker a girl in this?" <laughs> like, nah, you're not too far off. But uh, so Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker, not just in this, yeah. yeah. Um, Harrison Ford, Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Anthony Daniels as C3PO, Peter Mayhew, Kenny Baker. James nope, Hill. no Kenny Baker. No, R2-D2. No, there was no Kenny Baker. That's why in the in the introduction it just said R2-D2 as R2-D2. But he was in the credits on IMDb, but Kenny Baker wasn't playing r No, he, he wasn't in, he, he was he, not a part of it. Oh, well, good on you, Kenny Baker. <laughs> he was actually... He, IMDb, IMDb is actually wrong, on, oh. uh, I mean, according to what I read on the internet. So, oh. I mean, on he, other sites. He probably started yeah. out, he snuck out of the suit and nobody noticed till the end. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I looked it up, I was wondering why they were like, you know, they were giving everybody, and then they're like, um, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, Anthony, De- you know, Anthony yeah. Daniels as C-3PO, and R2-D2 as R2-D2. I was like, oh, Kenny Baker doesn't get any fucking credit? And so I looked it up, and somebody said he wasn't in it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, still, good on you. Uh, J- James Earl Jones is Darth Vader. Um, now, this is all pretty standard. Everyone knows this. Now it gets kind of weird. Uh, B. Arthur as Akmina. Saying that right? Doesn't yeah, Akamina, the uh, bartender at the Mos Eisley Cantina. Yes, and then Art Carney as Son Don. Diane nice Carroll shirt. as the uh, holographic pornography. And then yep. the Jefferson Starship as the holographic bad music video. Um, and Harvey Corman, who strangely is not funny in this. Yeah, well, I mean, reading the script, it's not that strange, but yeah, I mean, even he couldn't save the crap that they were having him do. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I, 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 when I started watching it, I was like, Harvey Corman. I love Harvey Corman. How bad can it be? It's gotta be. It's Harvey Corman. Yeah. Harvey How Corman bad could it be? Is Harvey like, Corman in blackface and drag? No kidding. I like, oh my god. And I don't think that's what they were intending. I think he was supposed to be an alien, but that's what it looked like. Well, he had right. four arms, so yeah, he was definitely supposed to be some kind of alien or something. Yeah, I but think let's, they not, were... let's not sugarcoat it. It was blackface and drag. <laughs> yeah, I think they were probably trying to go for dark, like purple or something face. But when I saw it, I gasped audibly. I was like, "Holy shit, that would not fly." I think part of the problem is, you know, now that we have HD, it's a lot more. It looks a lot worse than it did probably back then. Yeah, maybe everyone was adjusting their color knob and they couldn't figure it out anyway. But all right, so some trivia. According to Carrie Fisher, George Lucas gave her a copy of this as a gift for recruiting the uh, recording the DVD commentary for Star Wars Episode Four, and uh, she claims that she plays it at parties when she wants everybody to leave. Uh, plus, <laughs> he had to give her a copy of it because she was coked out of her mind and didn't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is what led to her mental issues. Yeah, well, wouldn't you be? Um, according to producer Mitzi Welsh, the sequence with Diane Carroll was intended to be a softcore porno that would pass the censors. 
And they were pretty right. Yeah. Yeah. Old Grandpa got some porn out of a hairdryer. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So the cantina sequence took an entire day to shoot. Uh, They unfortunately did not prepare for this, and the actors in the alien costumes began to pass out due to lack of oxygen. They had to bring oxygen tanks in and provide you provide them for use between takes because of it. I mean, I I won't okay. I did go back and rewatch the cantina scene. Did you see some passed out people? I really wanted to see someone just drop. Intentionally? <laughs> I intentionally went back and watched the cantina scene. I did Whoa. not see anybody pass out, but I was hoping that somebody would just drop. Uh, also, the large white rat in the cantina scene was actually a prop from Food of the Gods, which was huh. a much better form of entertainment than this was. And Food of the Gods is pretty crap. Yep. All it's right. no Food of the Gods, too. Let's jump into this shit pool. Yeah, so let's set the stage, because at this point, you've got Star Wars is the only thing that is out for Star Wars. George Lucas is busy working on Empire Strikes Back. And basically the studio wants something to sell a bunch of toys and remind people that Star Wars is a thing to capitalize on the massive popularity. And George Lucas has a script, but otherwise is pretty much hands off. And they had, they had just, uh, there's a variety show. I can't remember which one it was, but where like some random stormtroopers made just a little tiny appearance and their ratings went through the roof for that show. Well, because they're like stormtroopers. Yeah, and they're like, oh, we got to tap into this. Let's do a whole thing. You know? Yeah, I think that was uh, Donnie and Marie because that was yeah, kind of yeah, their thing true. is like they'd have random people knock on the door and arrive. And when a couple characters from Star Wars showed up, yeah, everybody hmm. went batshit crazy. Yeah. Well, and so they were, you know, all the all the suits were like, hey, let's tap into this and let's, you know, make some money, make some, make some merchandise happen. Well, I don't. You know, honestly, I think the suits needed to look outside their window because at this time, there was no way I was forgetting about Star Wars. <laughs> right. You know, I had, I you know, every day it was Star Wars for me. Wake up, grab oh, yeah. the lightsaber, you know, chase down the dog, that sort of thing. But it's easy to say that from the comfort and safety of 2016. But I mean, this is 1978. Star Wars is big, but how do they know it's not just going to be a fad? Uh, there's no way that they could know it would be. How do they know it's not going to be batteries not included? Sure. That was much later, Pat. Or the never ending story or whatever. That was later, too. Or Star Crash. Or, or, um, yeah. (laughs) That was a classic. Or or a punch to the face for Joel. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you don't have people discussing it on message boards. You you don't have uh, any of the fandom that immediately pops up around new shows. So. While it turns out it was entirely unnecessary, from their perspective, making this was not a bad idea. It was the fact that the people they got in to make it, the budget they set for it, and the clash in ideas between Lucas's uh, script and the campy Carol Burnett writers they brought in to make a Christmas variety show just made this kind of a pile of crap, which was made worse by the editing. It's a little bit of the old, you know, water sign mud, you know, and, and earth sign make mud kind of thing. It's just not a good mix of of people. Is that a thing people say? It is now. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> all <right>. Well, <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> like, I've, I've never said that. Well, and, you know, when I started watching, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to hold my judgment. 
I'm going to do my best to enjoy this. But just the first, what is it, 15 minutes where there's no real dialogue? Yeah, at the very beginning, you have Han talking to Chewie about how they're going to set the stage and they're going to say, okay, we need to get you home for Life Day. And then there's 12 minutes straight of pantomime in Wookiee in badly made Wookiee costumes with no subtitles and nothing interesting happening on the screen. Well, I mean, there's... Every now uh, and then she forlornly looks at a picture of Chewbacca and, and tries to, like, you know, check up on his ship on the on the, the little radar thing she's got or whatever. But, yeah, for the most part, there's really nothing going on. Right. And one thing we do learn is apparently everybody hates Lumpy. <laughs> yeah, because that 12 minutes, you've got mom in the kitchen doing getting ready for holiday stuff, which is exactly what I want out of my, my Christmas entertainment. And out of my Wookiee. Then you've got Grandpa just sort of wandering around being old. Carving and a then tie, uh, he, Yeah, well, he's carving an X-Wing. Yeah. And then you've got Lumpy, who's doing nothing but annoying both of them and misbehaving. And Lumpy has the shittiest costume of the three. And yeah. they keep going in for close-ups of his, like, just barely mobile face where he's like, Nyeh. Ah. <laughs> I had a stroke. I'd like to know if Lucas wrote those names or whether that was the other writers. Because what parent, even a Wookiee, is going to name their kid Lumpy or have a well, dad? We did actually discuss this pre-show before you got on, online, and Josh has an answer Yeah, that. The, uh, basically, those aren't their names. Those are shortened versions of their names, just the way Chewie is short for Chewbacca. Um, itchy. Like, L- Lumpy is like Lumpicus or something, you know. Uh, <laughs> Lumpicus. Let's see. Uh, I don't know why that tickles me. Uh, Itchy was named Itchy by Han Solo. His full name is at Itchy Took. Fuck that. I'm Lumpicus. No, I'm Lumpicus. (laughs) Apparently in the old EU, like they took these characters and continued to make stuff with them. Um, And yeah, Lumpy has some like Dumb name. He, he, even his full name's kind of dumb. It's like Lumpa Dump or something. <laughs> <laughs> I took one Lump, of those. Lumpicus is better. Uh, Mala's full name is Maladabuck. See, but I could get I could get by with hers. Uh, yeah, but all of them had these longer names. Lumpa Lumpa Warump is Lumpy. Lumpa Warump. Lumpa Warump. I like Lumpicus better. At Itchutuk who was uh, uh, nicknamed Itchy by Han Solo and got to the point where even the rest of his family was calling him Itchy. Mm-hmm. You need some Lotrimen. Lumpetunk. <laughs> Lumpicus. So, yeah, uh, it, it's interspersed with like a, the, the really bad cooking show with Harvey Corman and Lumpy goes and, and on the hollow, the hollow game board or whatever, he goes to, to watch this really horrible Cirque du Soleil act thing for a good Eight minutes or something. Well, what about? Yeah. Okay, it's like the if the little flamboyant elf from uh, Zelda, the Wind Waker, Tingle, yeah. was in Cirque du Soleil. Now, what about? Wait, we're we're just going to pass over Lumpy's uh, uh, gate wa- gate walking thing, where he goes out oh, to take the trash. Yeah. He looks down into the the bottomless pit that is his front yard, and then just walks along the edge of the gate for a little while for absolutely no reason. Right, and then they cut back in. Yeah, I, I think part of it was if we're going to single out things that were actually good, the set was very good. 
but it was weird. Like, why why did they have like IKEA type furniture? Aren't they supposed to be like woodland type people? Why you know why would they cut trees down to make cabinets for themselves? I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe they shop at IKEA. How <laughs> how old is IKEA? I mean, I just find it hard to believe that Wookies live like you know the, the fucking Bradys. <laughs> the quality of the sets, though. I mean, take aside the second guessing the motivations. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, it's out of sync with the way you imagine Wookiees. I, I actually think that the weirdest thing is how boring and mundane their lives are. Right. If if I have this image of these warlike jungle people, I don't have images of them mostly watching TV and and whittling and whittling. But the set looked good. That it that obviously some care. Probably ninety eight percent of the budget went to that. One percent went to Harvey Corman. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the things that I read about the set was it was gorgeous, but the problem was they built it. But they I think they said it was. It, had, it was four sided. Yeah. So there was yeah, no there was way. No to, fourth wall. Yeah. There was no way to hide a camera. There. There was no real way for the crew to be in there. So you can't set up. You can't set up proper lighting. You can't set up proper sound. Wait, there was a crew. <laughs> this is the Harvey first. Corman. Yeah, that's why he, <laughs> he was got operating that. the cameras. And B. B. Arthur was the the best boy in many ways. She but, was the boom. Well, Harvey Corman did play about like eight different characters. Yeah, you know, one that drank through his head. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, what was that volcano guy? I mean, the, we'll, I, we'll get there. We'll yeah, how okay. is the guy who drinks through his head the funniest of the three? Right. I don't know. Oh. oh, this is such a disservice to everybody involved. I think we were just all in in awe of the blackface bit. Okay, so let's. Okay. And it was just you know the whole like like stir stir whip whip stir. I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? Like oh. you know, like she's just getting more you know stirring the 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 stew more frantically and like. Where's the payoff? Where's where's this going? Where's he's, oh, nowhere? Just he's stop. riffing on Julia Child, and the whole gag is, oh, they have four arms because it's an alien, right? That's yeah. the entire gag to the bit, and it's it's not good. Well, I think this is where we had just spoken of of the the Carol Burnett era of writers and that crossover yeah. of it's it's very much feels like a very much a failed Carol Burnett sketch. You're right. Yeah, I feel with the writers, you know, and everything. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, no. I mean, it. it I agree with you on that. It's, it does. It feels like it's a Carol Burnett script that got left on the floor. Um, they're like, hey, well, she wouldn't let us do it. So why don't we try yeah, it like, here? Well, let's film an alien infomercial. Bah, ha, you know. Yeah. So then, <laughs> so then Tingle comes out of the holo thing and gets big, and then that close up of his face. <laughs> will haunt me to my dying day. <laughs> the, the one that Joel used in the GIF? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so the rapper's story basically comes to his family's worried he's not going to make it home in time. They keep going for these paper-thin cameos for each of the main Star Wars characters to basically show up long enough to say, stop worrying, he'll be there. Yep. yep. Has he ever missed a life day before? Yeah. And then they had the uh, uh, stock footage of Darth Vader re-voiced yeah. over. I will search every house in the galaxy. Uh, it's a lot of houses, Darth. <laughs> right? Not to mention, like, if you're not going to do that to find your own son, you know. <laughs> now, you guys were dogging on Art Carney. because, But I, I thought that the appearance of Art Carney showed that f- for the first time in the first, like, 
almost 40 minutes, we've got someone who's trying to take the whole situation seriously, isn't just pantomiming boring shit, and it's a little odd. And he has many aquariums. Like that, that have like like a superimposed image of a bunch of fish that could possibly could not possibly fit in that mini aquarium over the top of it. Yeah, but I mean to be honest, that's not that much more corny than the product gag at the beginning of Gremlins. True. Yeah, I agree. So I mean, I, Art Carney, I, I thought it was an odd choice, but I respected that the energy changed when he showed up on screen, and he was the only one who had lines, who wasn't treating the whole thing with this kitschy, weird, bad joke. He may not have known what the whole thing was about, but he was doing his best. Yeah, and I think, honestly, he had some good, I mean, with the, with the, yeah, I was going to, you'll, I'll take this. Oh, you will, will you? I don't suppose we're going to trade anything, or am I just giving it to you as a gift? You know, I mean, he's, he's actually, there were some funny lines from him, and it wasn't like laughing funny, it was exhale out of my nose funny. Sure, but, but he like played a character that had some personality and a very low cut shirt. Art Carney was showing a little uh, man cleavage there, right? He had that <laughs> super low V neck shirt that was showing off his uh, aged form. Makes all the Wookies go wild. <laughs> then, then enter the Imperials who want to catch the Rebels, and their main strategy is pointing a gun at anyone who talks. Right, and like then right breaking, like, <laughs> and then breaking all of a child's Christmas presents. <laughs> yeah, that? what was that about? That'll teach you to to be a Wookie. We're gonna go and screw up your room, Wookie. That'll uh, teach that little shit. <laughs> it was sad, and those guys were just and like, we're just gonna leave this stormtrooper here in your living room because we know your husband is a member of the El- the rebels. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very weird because they weren't menacing. In particular, they weren't effective in particular, even by the standards of the Galactic Imperium. Yeah. Right. This was like the, the D squad. Like, Darth has the A squad, you know. Um, um, well, I mean, they couldn't get Tarkin a lot. Tarkin has the B squad. Everybody who had half a brain had already asked for the day off because it was life day. Right. So they and, had and Durf, <laughs> Durf McDummy has the D squad. And he's like, hey, check it out. There's a little band in the box playing. I'm going to watch this for a good eight, ten minutes. It's Jefferson Airplane for the love of Pete. What the yeah, hell? Jefferson Starship. Yeah. Don't you dare call it Jefferson Airplane. Starship, sorry. And then there was the Alan Parsons Project, which I believe was some sort of hovercraft. <laughs> Before that was the <laughs> Jefferson um, Ornithopter. <laughs> you have all of these weird reasons for the variety show bits. The uh, Art Carney shows up with a special present for Grandpa. The- what the Which hell? Which is soft porn with Diane Carroll, where she sings to him after begging him to enjoy her. That, okay. And again, apparently, you know, Itchy is into shaved women. <laughs> he okay. likes his wiki, wikis shaved. And well, here's the thing that came on. And again, this isn't at the point where the kids had just got up and walked out of the room yet. When she's like, I was in your mind, I am here. All for you, and I think this. I think this one's for Sophie. Just like this is getting weird. <laughs> so Sophie's the, Sophie's the one. Is like, should I be leaving the room? <laughs> this is well, and I'm glad that Slacker left his voicemail because I, I wasn't old enough at the time to have remembered this, even if I saw it. 
And Pat would be the only one that was in his mid fifties at the time. <laughs> so he might remember it, but I mean, I'm, I seriously wondered what kids were thinking when it was on, because at this point, you know, they just started to release figures. They just had the, the tie in with, you know, the product placement and here comes this thing. And a lot, a lot of the reviews about it, t- people were talking about how they didn't even watch it past the, the Wookiee scene. Like as soon as it went to commercial after the Wookiees, a lot of people just tuned out. They're like, okay, nope. Done. Yeah, this is not for me. Well, yeah. and as I said in the chat, I, I wondered how many people were messing with their set trying to figure out where the, the subtitles were or if they were just like, did I just drop LSD and didn't realize it? <laughs> like, I just – I I know it's totally – did you hit the SAP button? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess it would be a WAP button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then we get to the cartoon, which is what Lumpy uses to distract himself from the fact that stormtroopers are messing with his room, which oddly is a cartoon of his father having adventures somewhere, because that's a thing that happens. Yeah, and everyone... I don't know. Um, I like Luke. His his father is already a legendary figure, which is why the Empire is there looking for him, so I mean, I can kind of get that. Right, and but then that question. Okay, uh, not to not to debate continuity in this thing. No, when they come into the house, they're like, "There's a Wookiee male that lives here. Also, we're going to hang out and wait for him." Why aren't they just like, "This is fucking Chewbacca's house. We're gonna chill here until he shows up." Right. Why leave one guy when you know that this guy, this this Wookiee, can take down several of your Imperial? He's a wanted fugitive. Right. And the guy that they leave behind is a guy who who is so bad in the outfit that he falls off the uh, balcony. We're going to leave the guy in training. Wait for it. Yeah. Because I want to talk about uh, uh, Mr. Wilhelm scream. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, can I can I mention that? um, And I don't know if somebody else is already going to mention this. Oh, you cannot. that that the reason that they had that cartoon, well, aside from bridging some of the gap, was to introduce Boba Fett because he was they were working on Empire and he was going to be introduced in that film as a, a character, and they were using this as a way to kind of make him known to build to, up the legend. Yeah, they right. were starting the hype train here, and Lucas had some very specific ideas. He wanted to use a style that was reminiscent of the French artist artist, uh, Mebus, and he wanted it to look like the stuff from Heavy Metal Magazine and Heavy Metal the Movie. Which now the big oh, oh no, not okay. Heavy Metal the Movie. I don't think that came out for another well no four years. Here's the thing though: is uh, in some of the stuff I read about Nelvana is that they were actually offered to do heavy metal, but they turned it down and went and did something called rock and rule, which, no, which obviously was huge because we all know about it. <laughs> I know about it. Well, I, mean, well, I do too, but look at us. <laughs> when, when it started, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And when they showed uh, R2 and C-3PO, they very much took that style for the droids cartoon that happened in the 80s. But what just blew my mind is here's Boba Fett, who's not a good guy. It's not a, he's not a, it doesn't work for either side. He's not wrong there, but on his, on his suit of armor, he has some little braided hair things hanging off. And those are Wookiees. Those selves. are from, those are supposedly Chewbacca's family, supposedly, but yes, they're Wookiee pelts that he's braided and he keeps as a trophy. And here he's hanging out with Chewie. Okay, there's a couple things. At this point, it had not been established what they were. And okay. currently in official canon, they are not necessarily Wookiee belts. Okay. And they uh, don't necessarily have to be, you know, 
like like he doesn't Chewbacca doesn't have to necessarily think they are Wookiee pelts, even if they are. They right. could be any kind of hair. It's a galaxy full of hairy things. I and I guess right now the official word on Boba, the uh, braids on Boba Fett's armor are: some people believe they're Wookiee pelts, some people believe they're Padawan braids. Everyone's too afraid to ask. Ooh, Padawan braids. That's actually good. pretty badass. You know, actually, who this, who the animation reminded me of is uh, Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Yeah, when you said that, that's what I thought too, and that's why I had to look it up. Um, I did not care know, for the animation. Especially We're looking the, at it from 2016 eyes, though, too. But anyway, I, did, but, I, didn't like, I didn't like the the loosey goosey uh, C3PO whose head was apparently on a wire that was incredibly flexible, but didn't keep his head from falling over somehow. It's not quite as wild and not quite as fast and free, but I mean, this you can see the animation style here later impacted official stuff like droids. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna show you. Guys, I'm gonna post an image of the droids cartoon in the chat so you guys can see. It's a very similar know. style. Yeah, and I posted up uh, a picture of Ralph Bakshi's. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen that, Pat? I don't think so. You dig it? Post-apocalyptic wizards. Yeah, it's cool. Good stuff. And, and that's the thing: is this style in the, uh, the bridge between the '70s and the '80s was popular enough through heavy metal magazine and uh, and I think 81 or 82 heavy metal, the movie, Mm -hmm. this is just how they did cartoons that were aimed at an audience that wasn't necessarily a hundred percent kids. I just posted a picture from the holiday special versus the one in the, and they're very Mm -hmm. similar. The C3PO design. Yeah. So like it. And, and Han Solo's face is friggin' huge, right? He looks like he's got, too many chromosomes. He looks like he's an Easter Island <laughs> head. He's yeah. he's a Down syndrome moai. This this was the only part of the holiday special I had seen before preparing for the show. And while I, I've never thought it was perfect, in general, I liked it, especially cutting it some slack for the time in which it was made. I know well, I've seen it before. I saw, I've seen that cartoon somewhere before. I know that because this was not the first time I'd seen it. This is the first time I've seen this whole special, but I've seen that cartoon before. Well, and when you talk about, or when you talk to people about this, that's the one thing that they always say that they, they remembered they liked. And I wonder if they saw it again, if they would still feel that way. That's fair. I mean, what uh, the girls kept asking, how come they don't recognize that it's Boba Fett? To which there is, you know, I mean, I, I, I did point out to him, look, Boba Fett really doesn't show up until Empire. Yeah, this is supposed to be the introduction of him. Yeah, yeah right. but at the same time, Kitty's like, well, if he's supposed to be this intergalactic badass, wouldn't Han just know who he is? Not necessarily. I mean, Han's a smuggler, probably too small time to have had the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy set on him. Hmm. And in general, I would think smugglers would try not to keep company with bounty hunters, knowing that eventually they might be sent after them. Okay. And all of the rest of them, you got a farm boy, a senator. Mm-hmm. And two idiot robots. Incidentally, if I would have seen this cartoon uh, many, many years earlier, I would have realized where his eyes were. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying it was very clearly defined in the cartoon. So moving past the cartoon, because there's aside from some of the heavy handed stuff in the spot where they clearly ran out of money. The big thing is B. Arthur's torch song number. And B. Arthur and torch song is. Well, you have to. You have to take a drink every time she says friend. 
Oh, man. It was weird because it, they had this slow-down version of Figure and Don and the Modal Nodes Cantina song as the backdrop. Oh, wow. And she's riffing on Those Were the Days, My Friends. Yep. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I, I like B. Arthur. I, I liked Maud. I liked Golden Girls. I, I've never fan, been a fan myself. But this, this was just... And the whole thing with Harvey Corman drinking in his head and his, like wanting to date her or whatever was just, just just because she said, come back soon. I'll be waiting. Yeah. It was just, it was just bizarre. I just, it was, I actually fast forwarded through most of that song. Uh, I mean, the song was not the worst song. It was actually a better song than just, uh, than Diane Carroll's. It was basically a, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It was serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fine. Now, originally uh, the, the roles were it was definitely too long. Yeah. I yes. would definitely do that. The roles were actually reversed, and B. Arthur was supposed to have Diane Cannon's spot. <laughs> that I would have watched the whole thing. Because she would have been like, I'm for you. I'm in your mind. And then <laughs> apparently working with her was kind of rough. Because uh, from what I get, from what I, the, what I read, that Maud is pretty much B. Arthur. Right. Yep. So she would, if she, you, they stopped her to do a retake, she'd be like, what was wrong with it? <laughs> and she didn't have any idea that she was even in a Star Wars thing. She just was like, "There's just a whole bunch of silly, weird animals around me." Mm-hmm. She has and no, Harvey Corman. That's it, actually one of her, one of her quotes was, "I was out there singing to a bunch of people with strange heads," <laughs> which is like, well, and she was still better than Jefferson Starship, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, not saying much with but. the weird like laser pink microphone. Yeah, <sighs> so strange. Not even get, one of their best songs. How did they even get them? It was 1978. I, okay. I'm, I'm sure they thought this was going to be huge. And but, yeah, and they were on their way out, and they were like, "We need something to give us a shot in the arm." Well, and think yeah. about it: if if you're an actor or an actress, and 1977 Star Wars happened, you saw what effect it had on the general population, and somebody said, "You know, we're doing this thing for Star Wars. You want to be a part of it?" Who's not going to say yes? That's true. You yeah. can even see the dailies and think with competent editing, this could have been good. You'd have been wrong. It could have been okay instead of terrible with better editing. Yeah. But I mean, they just didn't even try to like make sense of anything. Like, hey, here's a day in the life of Tatooine for no reason. Like, well, they didn't and- even try to write anything in to make sense from – I mean, it would have been a lot better served if they had just done it as like almost like a variety show – where they just did slice of life vignettes from different parts of the galaxy instead of trying to put a, a whole storyline through the whole thing and just shoehorn crap together that made no sense at all. Well, and variety shows were so, I mean, those those specials and things like that were so popular at that time that, right? I mean, it made sense to do it that way, but right, the way that and they everybody Everybody it. was clamoring to know more about the Star Wars universe, and it would have been a perfect way, like, here's little snippets from different areas of the universe, you know. But now we should do a variety show. Everybody loves yeah. variety but, shows. But let's make this about Life Day instead, and... Well, answer me this. Would you guys have rather seen like a dance number with Luke and some stormtroopers than to watch this whole life day, 15 minutes of, of Wookiees? No, not at all. But a variety show doesn't have to be Donnie and Marie. I was going to say I would prefer that, actually. I, I probably <laughs> would have preferred anything to the 15 minutes of nothing but boring Wookiee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So then after B. Arthur's song. After B. Arthur's song, we have a really quick wrap up with a uh, comical end to the stormtrooper uh, who goes over the side after Han takes his gun, flinches at it. And then dude trips over nothing and falls to his death with a Wilhelm scream, which got me to laugh out loud. That probably was the funniest point of the entire show. Well, and the fact that he fell down into this wherever is at the bottom and they're just kind of leave him there. Like somebody's <laughs> not going to stop by and be like, oh, there's a stormtrooper here. We better call the <laughs> rebel or the alliance. And that was the other thing. It's the like, empire. Oh, I better get back out there and move the move the Millennium Falcon. I don't want anybody to catch us being here. I'm like, what about the dead stormtrooper at the bottom of the tree? No one's going right. to notice that. And they're not going to be like, um, we might want to check out the Wookiee's place. So. The male Wookiee. Yeah. So Who does not have a name. And then Art Carney's, when he shows up and he's like, ah, I'll take care of this. Yeah. He uh, he stole from me and ran for the hills. And I go, oh, okay, sounds legitimate. Oh, right. <laughs> How many stormtroopers defect after robbing a Wookiee? Right. Yeah. Very strange. So I don't. it's at this point that the production completely runs out of money. All I'm saying is I wish I had one of those ID holders he was going on about. They sounded pretty good by the end of the show. <laughs> so you buy they, one, you get a free mini aquarium. They know they have to wrap this up, and they've promised Carrie Fisher she could sing. And that's Which all the they have reason, left. The only reason she agreed to do it was if she got to sing. So they realize after having had a, a director quit, uh, I, I think one of the writers quit. They're just like, okay, we're going to come in at the 11th hour and save this thing. We're going to do this thing with candles and globes. And I, I understand that the budget was gone at this point. But, oh, my God. Don't forget yeah. the audience quit, too. Well, <laughs> and I think the director didn't just quit. He just called in. He, he's like, he called and was like, yeah, I, I don't, it, it's almost like uh, office space. I don't think I'm going to be coming in today right? <laughs> or tomorrow. It says here that you missed 10 days in a, in a row. I wouldn't exactly say I've missed them, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, they, they slapped together this festival, which basically has one decent looking Wookiee costume, which came from the movies, and all of these twisted abomination Wookiee <laughs> costumes, all in red robes, where they grab snow globes filled with candles, walk into the sun, and just kind of wander around a little bit until they show up at a tree. Why did, Frank, why did Itchy look nothing like a Wookiee? He was old. He, he, he looked like the creature that was on the wing in the original William Shatner Twilight Zone episode. There's something. Oh no! You know what he it looked, looked like? like? The thing uh, on oh. the Pork Chop Express yes. at the end of Big Trouble in Little China. That is exactly. Oh, that's even better. Yes. Yes, that's your grandpa. Yeah. I, I, that's I'm going to go with that. What, Mike? I was, I, I was agreeing with Josh. I, at the same time, I think we came up with Pork Chop Express. So. Yeah. But oh, man, yeah, and we it, get to it the, did not look like a Wookiee. That's for sure. We get to the big finale where all of the main cast is together for something other than just a, hey, remember us? We're technically in this. And they get together so Leia can sing this meandering Life Day carol that is set with the theme of Star Wars in the background. Life Day, ooh. <laughs> yeah, it was. Was that the theme to DuckTales? <laughs> Life, Day. Life Day, ooh. <laughs> And she was obviously coked out of her mind. <laughs> well, why did they just tell her, you know, hey, you, you totally sang. Right? <laughs> and she's like, cool, cool. Cool. <laughs> but I nailed it. 
Uh, yeah, so she, so she sings. Uh, Harrison Ford stands in the background with a just a like. like um, is this shit over with yet? Yeah, he looks like he's chewing on tinfoil gum. That's what he looks like. <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, we've got three minutes left. Let's do super cut of archive footage of the movie." Yeah, nothing better than ending a movie with a montage. Yeah, from another better movie. <laughs> Hey, remember all this stuff you loved? Sorry, we just shit all over it. <laughs> and I don't know about your the copy you guys saw, but the one I saw had commercials from 1978 woven into it. They, oh, they, it, was, it was a direct rip from the t- when it was on TV. Nice. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have commercials except for the very beginning where they had like a the um, Star Wars toys commercial. But yeah, and this. It was one of those things where I'm like, I turned it off. I'm like, wow, that was really terrible. And I'm the only person in the room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went into the saying, I've heard all my life about how bad this is. How bad could it really be? And it turns out the answer is pretty fucking bad. Yeah. yeah this, this deserves all the scorn and hatred it gets. It, there, there's, there's nothing redeeming about this at all. Whatsoever. That's ex- exactly how I thought about it when I started it, too. You know, it can't be that bad. I've seen some horrible, horrible things in my day, and this can't be as bad. Oh, it is. Yeah. This was this really was like it wasn't like so bad like the 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 you know uh, the the stupid what was the Mockbusters movie the name of it again Transmorph not Transmorph the other Transmorphers. one Transmorphers no the other one oh Star Star, Crash. Star yeah Star it wasn't as bad as Star Crash I but it's definitely it's definitely up there I mean the only thing that redeems this is is it's at least in the universe and you did at least get to see the people that you like I mean they may have been you know zombified, you know, whatever's, but I mean, it's still the Star Wars universe, and by that, it gets like a half a star automatically. Star Crash and uh, Transmorphers and a lot of the other things that I hated that I watched for this show are bad, but this commits a worse crime. It's not only cringy and poorly made, it's boring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing about it. I will definitely agree with that. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is painfully boring. Well, and the the thing that's about the boringness of it is like it, there's no reason the world that it's set in that it should be boring, right? I mean, here's yeah. all the source material that you could ever need to create a really cool. I mean, even if it's a fine, leave it a holiday special, whatever. Make it a make it a, a vignette show, whatever. But it's Star Wars. It's less, I mean, it's like a year old, and people are still, at this point, people are still seeing it in the theaters. The, the, the problem is there's, there, there was just a fundamental difference between the universe and the writers that they used for this. Because the writers that they used for this were all like tongue-in-cheek comedy writers. And Star Wars is nothing if, it, if not a very serious universe. It takes itself very seriously. It, then there's like, like the only tongue-in-cheek thing about Star, the Star Wars universe is Han Solo. That's about it. Well, and the the droids provide some comic relief, but otherwise, right. yeah, it's it's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, but the droids aren't kitschy, and this was kitschy. Yeah, I, I mean, Bruce Valanche has his fingers all over this. You mispronounced Absolutely. shitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. You guys just want to go to the break in disgust? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> I will throw the mic down. I will not drop it. I'm all blaming right. Bruce Valanche. This is all your fault. <laughs> So when we come back, we're going to talk about Rogue One and uh, see if we can save this last episode of the year. Hey, hey, throw the bike down. What? <laughs>
Uh, Sorry, my inner pirate came out for a moment. We'll be back. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about the other side of the coin of Star Wars stuff that we watched this week. (laughs) uh, Like we said before, we were looking for a reason to go out and see Rogue One, and we found it. As painful as it was, but uh, we, paid, we paid the price to see this movie. Yes, we paid the we paid the iron price. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it was a rough week to have to go see a movie, but uh, I it's something I've been looking forward to since I saw the first trailer. Yeah, so uh, the summary on this one is: the Rebel Alliance makes a risky move to steal the plans for the Death Star, setting up the epic saga that is to follow, and that is exactly what this is. Um, oh wait, Joel wanted to say this. Spoilers. Yes, yeah. we are going to spoil the brand new movie. We'll be talking about details. Hint, they uh, get the plans to the Death Star. Yeah. And and many Bothans will die. Yes. No, no, no. That's for the second Death Star. And Lumpy makes an appearance. No, he doesn't. No, <laughs> stop that. Lumpy never comes back. He was taken away and pushed off a tree. So, I don't know. Yes, no Bothans were harmed in the making of this movie. That, right. That Bothans died to get the plants to the second Death Star. Was it the second one? Oh, damn. Yes, it was. Yeah. All right. So this is directed. Uh, that explains why they never called them Bothans. <laughs> yeah, we were we were talking about that. Okay. Yep. So uh, this is directed by Gareth Edwards, who has done such stuff as the movie Monsters. I don't know. Have you guys seen that one? Oh, yeah. Great mm-hmm. film. Yeah, good stuff. And Godzilla, which we actually did a show about. With one of yep. the other movies we all went to the theater to see, which I think all of us loved, the new yeah, Godzilla. Fans. At least liked. That was the yeah. one with Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. 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 We we had. I think we all had. Most Generally of positive. Yeah. 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 So uh, writing credits: Chris Weitz did the screenplay. Also did the Golden Compass. Tony Gilroy, another screenplay writer who has done all things Born and The Devil's Advocate. John Knoll. Uh, now, this is one of those weird things. R- story by... Because I know, think, what movie did we do a couple shows ago where the story was written by the effects guy? Oh, uh, yeah. Journey. Yeah. Journey so, to the center of the earth. Right. So this isn't one that where it goes right. So John Knoll has wrote the story, has 37 different effects credits, including uh, Jedi, uh, Speed Racer, and Avatar, and Gary Whitta, who did uh, effects in the Walking Dead Telltale game, the Book of Eli, and I don't know if any of you have played it except for maybe me, but the video game called Prey. Yes, I've played Prey. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, great Don't Fear the Reaper scene. Um, and based off of did, characters... Did you, did you eat in love also? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're mistaking the word again. Oh. It's an right. E. Uh but and also George Lucas, based off his characters, and he's mostly an ideas guy. Not you know, he's like, hey, I don't know, I don't even know how to do his voice. Pat, dude, give, give me some, give me some George Lucas, Pat. Oh, uh, why don't you put a cartoon of Boba Fett in there? Uh. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I'm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, I, I was trying to stop make myself sound like a like a neckbeard. Well, you, my, my, you should have like, Actually, <laughs> Harry Knowles. Um, I, I thought you were going for G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going for G. Gordon Liddy. Who is it? I mean? 
So these characters, A1 Felicity Jones plays Jin Erso, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, Ellen Tudyk does the voice of K2SO, the droid in the movie. I did not realize that. Yeah, until he, he that does. Show notes. Oh yeah, he does a lot of voices now, including uh, one of my the favorite ones. He does the Candy King in uh, Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, I did know that, and he was really good at that. Yeah, Donnie Yen as uh, Blind Blind Kenshi uh, or <laughs> Chirrut. How do you say that, Chirrut Imwe? Yep. Okay. Wen Jiang as Bayes Melbus. Ben Mendelsohn as Oric Krennic. You know, honestly, sometimes you can just take these names and you wouldn't know which one was going to be in the is in the movie and is not. You know, which is a character and which is the actor. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. That's a crazy name right there. Saw <laughs> Gerrera. Riz yeah, Ahmed. Saw Gerrera from uh, Clone Wars yeah. uh, cartoon. He is the only character to carry over from Clone Wars to this. So Yes, although there are a lot of cameos from the Rebels cartoon. Yes, there are. Uh, Riz Ahmed is Bodhi Rook. Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, I'm loving him more and more. Yep. Mm-hmm. As He's Galen Erso. Jimmy Smits as Bale Organa. Alistair Pietier as General Draven. And Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothra. And CGI as Grand Moff Tarkin. Mon Mothra. <laughs> I saw what you did there. Mon Mothra. Great casting for uh, Mon Mothma. Yeah. Really? I mean, she looks just like... I mean, it, yeah. it took me. I, I had to do a double a double take on whether or not. I thought, they, was, I thought they were using old footage at first. Right. It looked like old. Uh, it looked like really good CGI. So, of Rachel McFarlane. Yeah. So a uh, little trivia: the ba- Rebel base at Yavin Four features several full side carbo- full sized cardboard cutouts of X wings and Y wing fighters, and is actually the same technique of filling out the hangar as in the original Star Wars. So they actually just made big. Stand Interesting. Gregory. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly also played Mon Mothma in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I, I totally botched the the name. Original Mon Mothma is, of course, Carolyn Seymour. Ah. ah. I wouldn't have known the difference. No, but someone would have called me on it. I, I would have been that guy. <laughs> All right. Now, also, the original Star Wars Episode Four in 77, The New Hope, features a one-shot of the main hero standing outside the Yavin 4 temple. Although the temple itself is a matte painting, the actors in the foreground, including various rebels and their transports, were filmed at Cardington Sheds in Bedfordshire, England. Now, I think the, everybody, um, when they were doing, like, remember those drone pictures came out of the Millennium Falcon and all that for the first one? I think this is, this is that area. Uh, the the Rogue One crew returned to the same location to film not only the exteriors, but this time they recreated the interior of the Rebel base at uh, Bedfordshire. So, which is probably the most exciting thing that has happened in Bedfordshire in a long while. Mama Mama. Since the Figgy Pudding Bandit. I... Hi, are My you? figgy pudding's gone. <laughs> on, something, something, cricket. <laughs> on Jada, Jin bumps into Dr. Evazan and Ponda Baba, the same men who try to start a fight with Luke in the cantina in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. So that's yep. Pat. I wasn't, yeah. sure to, I wasn't sure how to feel about that one. But that face one and ugly. a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like I don't she, know. Maybe if she ran into one of them, but not both of them at the same time. I don't know. Well, well if if you run into either one without the other, you've either got Ponda Baba, just a num, uh, another member of his race. I think is he Celestin? I don't remember. Uh, but and uh, who could pick out Evazan out of a crowd? That big nose. I don't. I don't know. I, this I, 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 I just feel like the scene wasn't wasn't needed. CGRG well, was a little bit more. Yeah, I just in there. Yeah. The oh, thing is, I disagree. Uh, because they specifically filled in a big hole from Star Wars with uh, 3PO and R2-D2. Shut up, I'm trying to start something. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught this, because we're never going to get back to this, but uh, in the scene where they show the two of them, you've got Bail Organa talking to somebody. That somebody is Captain Antilles. Yes, I heard they, they mentioned his name on the way out, too. And that's that's the big deal is for years in the original Star Wars, 3PO talked about most recently having been in the service of Captain Antilles. And everyone's like, OK, when did that happen exactly? Now we know. Mm-hmm. Um, Fascinating. The other thing about the doctor and uh, Panda Baba is shortly after this scene, the city just gets nuked into nothing. How the hell did they get out of there to get to Tatooine? Tatooine. That that place, too. Unless they just, like, immediately, like, the reason they didn't start a fight is because they were leaving at that moment. They probably were just hopping a freighter out. I mean, you I have mean, to that, assume that, that. Yeah, that has to be the, the, the story. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. That, so Right. Uh, also, this is the first Star Wars movie not to use the scroll text at the beginning of the movie. Which oh, I've had yeah. people complain about that, but... It's not an actual episode. It is the in-between. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the music has changed slightly. The scroll is not included. And it makes sense in terms of where it falls. Because it's not episode four and or three and a quarter or whatever. It's it's a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. I, I'm starting into this. I I didn't have a lot of hope for the movie in the first five, ten minutes because I had no friggin' idea where I was. Did it seem to any of you that, like, every time you blinked, there was a new splash screen for whatever planet we were on? There was a lot of jumping between – it made sense as you got further into it. It, it. it set things up for what was coming. But, yes, in the beginning, it felt a little disjointed because you didn't – well, if you're not, like, hugely deeply embedded into Star Wars, you don't necessarily know where those places are. And I was worried they were going to fall into the Phantom Menace problem of just too many locations and jumping around too much and going from planet to planet. But, you know, they didn't. So It made sense in the end. It all it all had a purpose. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could make a – I enjoyed the beginning of the movie. And I enjoyed the movie throughout. And we'll just get that out of the way because I'm going to pick some nits. No, I, I wound up enjoying it. I mean, after, after I got my bearings – I understood what was going on. I figured it out. But, I mean, I just – it seemed like in the very beginning, it was just like, now we're here. Now we're here. Now we're here. Now we're here. Okay, got that? Cool. Plot. Well, in the beginning uh, flashback scene, you've got this weird thing where the scene doesn't actually do much for the plot. But if you cut it, neither Forrest Whitaker or Mads Mikkelsen get sufficient screen time to justify their involvement. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it really would have disrupted their appearance in other places in the movie to cut that scene. But every plot point you learn from that scene is reinforced el- elsewhere. 
and the inclusion of the scene kind of messes with the pacing at the beginning. If I'm going to pick nits, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> my two-word review of this was almost perfect, here we're talking about the almost. He doesn't like you either. <laughs> All right, well, so let's just break down the plot. Start from the well, Okay, well, and if you're going to get to the beginning, the, the very first scene with, uh, well, where Mads is talking to uh, General uh, White Robe, White General Uniform. White Robe. Dude. I can't think of his name right now. The, the main bad guy. Orson Kronick? Yeah. yeah, Commander Kronick. Yeah. That that whole sequence seemed like it was uh, lifted gently from uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit of the, of the tense pacing, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got this guy. I mean, because it, 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 very much the uh, uh, the Empire is is not unlike the Nazi Party in some ways. So you've got this guy interviewing this guy, other guy, and his hiding his kid. And this guy's kind of a, a bastard. Not anyway. I just got that feeling when I was watching it. But it was a great scene. Yeah, it's it's reminiscent. It's yeah. a shame that it's just a little slow and. It doesn't do a whole lot for characters that are going to be moving the plot forward later. I thought they were going to show him, you know, get a, some kind of altercation with them to show what he was some kind of badass. Because when he's going on about how I can't believe you're wasting your talents out here, but it turns out, you know, his talents were in engineering. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's the thing is they would have finished the Death Star without him. The point is, is with him, the project gets done in time for the Emperor to not shut the whole thing down. And kill everybody involved. Yeah, basically. This is Orson Krennic's big uh, bid for power. But the thing is, is Jin's father doesn't know that. From his perspective, they're eventually going to finish the Death Star with or without him. He doesn't know about empire politics, Mm -hmm. so he figures he has to go. If he lets them gun him down, probably the Death Star never happens because uh, the uh, anti-Orson Krennic faction basically says this thing's expensive. It's a waste of materials and manpower. Let's shut it down and kill everyone who had anything to do with it. That's a lot of construction workers right there. Poor man. subcontractors, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't in the writer. <laughs> right out of clerks. I here, here's something. I don't know if you guys had this, but I had a bad case of that's got to be a lightsaber in this, in this movie. You just kept seeing them everywhere? Well, not that I kept seeing them. It's like when uh, Donnie Yen came up when Chiro Imue started fighting and he had a staff. And I saw the staff had this little bit of glow into it. I'm like, that's a lightsaber. I want to see a bow staff lightsaber right now. Nope. It's, <laughs> it's a crossbow. See, no, I didn't have any of that because it's pretty well established that <clears throat> the Jedi at this point are Obi-Wan Kenobi and everyone else is presumed dead. Oh, no. Well, I, all you have yeah. No, I totally the- knew. I mean, I... I know the lore. I know that that's sure. that that's the case. But I mean, like when I saw Chirrut when he had the bow, the staff with the little glow on the end, I'm like, please be a lightsaber. I, I'm like, it was like the inner inner ten year old in me wants. Right. I, you want to just be able to squee. Yeah. I sure. want, yeah. That's exactly it. I want to see. I want to see Baze and Chirrut take down that tank with that huge ass gun that he's carrying around the whole time, and then uh, a bow staff lightsaber. Yeah. But. He was a was the temple of the wills, was it? He's a force sensitive, so he's not a Jedi, but he's in tune with it 
more than your average person. Right. Yeah, and kind of showing the other side of the Force, something we haven't seen for a while, the dedicated mysticism, old hokey religion side of the Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't think we've actually seen that probably since Empire Strikes Back or Jedi. Well, hokey religions are no match for a good blaster at your side. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he was he was one of the the more fun characters in a very, very rather dark film. Yeah, ultimately, Chirrut. Honestly, Chirrut was one. I probably my favorite character through the whole thing. Yeah, the best line in the whole movie, which was Patrick. <laughs> but he's like, I can't remember it exactly. But he's he's like, what? Seriously, seriously? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went into the movie at like a like an eight. So um, he's a like, seriously, guys. I'm blind <laughs> when they put the bag over his head. No, right. No, oh, I thought you were ta- going to talk about uh, I am I am the force and the force is with me. Yeah, no, no, no I'm just talking about this. When, yeah. when they put bags over everybody's head, and he's the last one. I know that was that was that I was there at opening night to see it, and that got a huge laugh. Seriously, guys, I am blind. <laughs> so, uh, what about K2SO? K2SO. I like we had briefly discussed before. Uh, one, I he was the snarkiest little thing I've ever. Do you, would you like to know the percent? You know, would you like to know the chances that she's going to use that against you? Yeah, it's high. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, he, was, he was my personal favorite character. I think that this is an opportunity to see where they went so far wrong with uh, Gungans. Where you've got this character who is the comic relief for most of the movie, but he isn't slapsticky, stupid, slipping in poop, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Numbing and his mouth and talking funny. Is Yeah. Very sardonic. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah. No, that's exactly the word. Yeah. that's. I think that's probably his driving personality. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he had a lot of great lines. He really good delivery. Great delivery. I mean, and you know, it was, it was kind of like that put upon. Oh, fine. No, you told me to stay back in the ship. How certain were you that that wasn't me? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, the design of the the droid itself was something we've kind of seen, but not in great detail. And it's such a departure from three uh, PO and and R two and B. BB-8 that, uh, you know, it was kind of refreshing to see this kind of oversized droid that, um, I don't know, there was something about the design just really was appealing. And you are being, congratulations, you are being rescued. Stop resisting. (laughs) These are my prisoners. Yeah. And I'm taking them. They're rebels. They're all rebels. Look, there's one. (laughs) How did you know that wasn't me? (laughs) <laughs> I'm here to help you. Cassian said I had to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. He's, I mean, he was, dry, he had that amazing dry humor for, for the character. I thought he was, I thought K2SO was, was probably one of the be- better characters in the whole thing. And as it's, I said earlier, I said, how funny is it that one of the saddest, if not the saddest deaths in the entire movie was, was the, the, the robot, the was, droid. Was K2SO. Yeah. No, yeah, that, yeah. Especially because he seemed like he was going to hold his own, right? You know, when he's working, that when he's working, he's just like shooting off to the oh, side. Oh, he did hold his own. Are you kidding? Did you see how many he took out? Oh yeah, he took out a pile of them. But you know, I I, I wanted him to survive. Okay, I wanted him to survive. I wanted K two S O to survive. You know, I 
I mean, this is, I also made the kind of uh, comment, uh, reflection on this, that this is almost like a intergalactic um, Dirty Dozen. Yes, it reminds me of the Dirty Dozen, Guns of the Navarone, Seven Samurai. And so many people are like, well, the, we spent all of this time doing stuff, but I didn't care when the characters died because they didn't develop them. It's like, if you had seen the movies this was uh, paying homage to, you'd realize this is how those guys are characterized. This is the big guy. He's characterized by his weapon and how he feels about this one other character and everything else that matters is what he does. Right. You, you don't have this long drawn out backstory. You don't need it. It's not appropriate in a war movie. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't need motivation for every character. Well, well Bo- Bodai Rook, the, you know, who is he? He's the defector pilot. There you go. That's all you need to know about him. He is here to stop this from happening, and he's been in contact with Galen Urso. Well, and let's call out what was so awesome about Bodhi, because uh, I saw a tweet right after this came out from Kumail Nanjiani. He's a uh, Pakistani stand-up comedian. He's been I, on Archer. Awesome. I love him. He's very funny. And he's a lifetime... Uh, Star Wars fan, and a lot of his comedy er, er, goes around the fact that uh, there are almost no depictions of Middle Easterners that aren't basically terrorists. Uh, or, maybe or just completely racist, you know, like the the you know the convenience store owner tripe, you know. Oh come yeah. on, like that ever happens? Yeah, he spent his first two years on HBO's Silicon Valley being mistaken for Cal Penn. And now he's watching Star Wars, and there's someone who comes from a place that looks like it could be his homeland. He sees himself represented in one of the heroes, and it's the first time it's ever happened. I I can't even imagine how awesome that must have been. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's the same. A lot of you know Asian young Asian men had the same response to Glenn and The Walking Dead. You know, like it's you know just good to see minorities actually getting roles. Well, as lead characters, though. Not just getting roles, but being integral parts of the story yeah, in one. Where, where it doesn't matter what their nationality is, they're just another character. You know, I mean, that's right. what that's something that you know Aziz Ansari is kind of bringing to the forefront. Is like his characters that they're just you know standard American guys who just happen to be Indian. Well, and that's right. kind of one of the things that to speak speak to the Walking Dead is that you know the 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 gender and and the race and the all that doesn't matter anymore in that world, and that's kind of the way it was here. It's it's you kind of lose track of the fact that they're just all there to complete the mission. Basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that even if you're concerned about casting being politicized, they don't make a big deal out of it. And that's even better. Right. Plus his character was damn good too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when he's in there, he, I, uh, when they put him in the, uh, whatchamacallit, what was the name of that monster that was supposed to have drive him insane by getting? Oh, like through? the psychic octopus thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah the point being that the uh, the rebels had been too clean up to this point. We needed to see another side of the rebellion, realizing that in order to have a conflict, there's got to be some rotten fucks on both sides. Mm-hmm. Right. They are correct. They are in the right, but they have done some horrible things. This movie sold me when Cassian murdered an informant to protect his cover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there's that whole sequence about how when they get the crew together to go, um, you know, get the plans. And he's like, at this point, if we don't do something, everything we did was for nothing. 
and we can't face ourselves. You know, there's got to be a, 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 a there's got to be an end to everything we've done to. Uh, yeah, all the lies and betrayals and murders would have otherwise been for no reason at all. Right, they would have just made them murderers without a cause. Yeah, and and that whole se- sequence really kind of it sold me on the whole their side of it because I, at first I was like, wow, this is really like. He's he's not a great person. But then when he said that, it's like, okay, it makes sense. I get it now. They did have to bend Mon Mothma from some of the even now uh, uh, canon stuff where her typical reaction is, I'm officially a politician. So I didn't say this, but it would be crazy if someone was to steal a ship and do the mission on their own. I mean, obviously, if you asked me, I'd be against that. That's how she's portrayed in the novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was weird that uh, it was just a flat no from the council instead of her taking a gin off to the side. And I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I didn't tell you to do this and uh, you shouldn't do this officially. Yeah, you didn't hear this from me, but that but if, ship. But if I were keys. you, I would do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know one of the other things I liked is all the name I the nameless people that joined them. You know, after they gave their speech, after they had that discussion around the table, you know, it wasn't just this handful of the five, the, you know, the five of them that went off to go to go uh, get the plans. There was a bunch of other rebels that are like, we need to do this. You know, they didn't go in there just you know this ragtag. Well, I mean, they were a ragtag little group, but right. I mean, there was a good chunk of them coming out there, and. The battle scene across the uh, across the tower, I thought was fantastic. When the adats came out, from the moment they hit the beach, it was just like all of a sudden we are in the Star Wars. Uh, oh shit, Matt, the save Matt Damon. Um, oh, save, saving save Private Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> save yeah. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome really to watch like all of the battling going on in a completely new environment, you know, that we hadn't seen before. We've never seen a beach warfare with stormtroopers and adats going at it, you know, mm-hmm. with rebels and tie fighters and fucking X wings and shit. My I'll go so far as to say we've never seen adats be terrifying because when they showed up on Hoth, they were basically just taken out by snow speeders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing was, is, is that, uh, to speak to the Saving Private Ryan comment, I mean, this felt more like war. Because when you watch Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back, there's big battle sequences, but you never get that sense of it's very on the clean ground. And not, yeah, very clean and not very chaotic a lot. Right. right. This is this is <clears throat> dirty in your face. People are going to die and not in a pretty way. And yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, Josh. One of my favorite moments of the beginning of the battle is when they're at the top of the tower in the control booth. And things just start exploding out oh, on the yeah. scene. And then, and General Draven kind of looks around. He's like, go! go. <laughs> it's like yeah. everyone's just sort of looking out the window. Huh, look at that, man. Did you see it's exploding? And then Draven's like, would you just... <laughs> Something blew up, huh? Huh, that's All never right. happened before. Coffee. Yeah. Half expecting to look, look out there and go, Jones! <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I we haven't. I mean, we've been kind of skitting, skirting around the plot and kind of moving our way through things that we liked. But can we please, at some point, talk about Grand Moff Tarkin? Yeah, we're gonna have to address and this how he looked like a video game character. 
okay, let's. It wasn't so long ago we did Tron Legacy. Yeah. So you look at the way they did it in Tron Legacy and how much further the technology has progressed. We're not all the way out of the uncanny valley, but we have caltrops and ropes set up on the edge. We're like climbing out. Yeah. I mean, it's it wasn't. Well, I mean, look how good they did. Look how good they did that in um in Ant Man when they did the. Reverse aging. The de-aging is one thing, but an actor that's been dead for 24 years is another. You can't yeah, de-age a corpse. That's true. I, and I, 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 mean, I, I thought they just took old footage and just, you know, no. CGI'd no. over the top of it. No, they no. took an actor who looked similar to him and then CGI'd him to make him look as close as you could. The problem is, is you can't completely get out of the Uncanny Valley. He looked fine when he was in the shots alone, but as soon as he shared a shot with a live actor, all of a sudden something in your brain goes, this dude ain't real. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. And the other part was, is when it was in the, when it was distant shots, kind of in slight shadows, I bought it. I, I got I yep. got it. But when you make a, a CGI character of somebody that we've all seen millions of times because of watching the movies over and over, and you make him a, a main character that's chewing the scenery with other characters that are real life people. They, they did too many close-ups on him. It doesn't work. But you can't do it any other way. You absolutely yeah. don't recast him, and you can't not have Grand Moff Tarkin being a major part of what's going on this close to... Because, I mean, basically, this movie ends, and we're talking like 10 minutes later or hours later, A New Hope begins. Yeah. 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 Not even that long, necessarily. But, I mean, it, it it's one thing to have him in there and have him get to the major plot point. But he was almost featured more in this than he was in the original series. Oh, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. He only had, like, you know, two scenes in the original series. Um, I think the reason for that was you had to see the power play that was going on with the construction of it. I think you yeah, had to see and what... And if they hadn't had Krennic, he would have been in it more. Right. I didn't notice the CGI on him too much, but I think that was because we got there a little late and wound up sitting in the fourth row. Oh, Jesus. So it was just really big. <laughs> like, he was great. That's the Moff biggest Tarkin. Moff Tarkin I've ever seen. Um, then you have the two seconds at the end of CGI Leia. Now, here's my thoughts on that. And I, I, the two, two schools of thought. Somebody suggested the de aging thing, which uh, Leia has had some facial issues that it wouldn't work, I don't think. But for me, if they just would have kept it with the back shot of her and the robes, and that was it. I would have been perfectly happy with it. Yeah, we didn't need to get a facial shot of her. Everybody knew who she was. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I think you need these intermediate steps to finally complete the journey out of the Uncanny Valley. And this is as good a place to take those steps as any. Uh, I, I think that these shots will be used in a retrospective 10, 20 years from now, once they've got the technology perfect. Mm-hmm. To say this, these are the steps that we took to get here, and this was a big leap forward because it really was. But then do it in a different movie that's not so integral to everybody's. You know, I mean, one of the biggest franchises in the history of film. What's I your think fix? I didn't think it was so bad that it took me out of the movie or anything. It, it, me, it did for me. What's Leia? your fix then, Joel? I mean, well, I'm just saying, cut down the sequence of of interaction between them and. Use your uh, your lighting. 
use your lighting and your distance shots and things to kind of mask it more instead of putting it right out in front in broad daylight. You know, it's like, it's like you, you, you hide the monster to create the illusion of something more than what your budget will. But it, it was like, they were almost celebrating it. Yeah. And here, right. They were just like, we're going to put this right in front of your face in bright daylight and hope that you don't notice. And, and, I mean, and, and dare you to, you know, to, to not like it. There's just smarter ways it could have been handled. Yeah, I don't know. Good, I Joel. think that may have stopped you from complaining, but would have created an entirely different set of fans with an entirely different set of expectations to launch different complaints about how obvious and artificial the smoke and mirrors and, yeah, and I don't, ceiling the technology was. I don't think there's any way to, to please, you know, no, everybody either way. You know I mean? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, somebody's going to gonna complain about how he was used one way or the other, because, you know, it's a sensitive subject. You know, what do you do with a with a dead actor? What do you do with their character? Well, I mean, look at the the post I showed you guys earlier. Or some of the other ones that are out there, where people are finding things to to nitpick. Don't get me wrong; I love the film overall. It was just those two pieces of it were the only parts that took me out of it. I like all your comments, Joel. It's almost as if you finished film school. Oh. <laughs> Damn. I'm not Patrick, Mike. Damn. Yeah, you're gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna like cry himself to sleep with his big pillow now. I <laughs> know. Uh, I'm a dick. I'm not a pastor either. So what am I going to talk about? <laughs> Good. All right. So, so back to the movie. Yes. Yeah. I, I, there were a lot of people immediately complaining about this, and I know I ranted to you guys, and I'm not going to repeat all of that. I just say. If you didn't like the movie, you don't have to like all the same things I like. But I, I'd just like to ask you, are you giving the same level of requiring perfection scrutiny that you gave to this, that you gave to the new Ghostbusters, that you gave to Force Awakens? Are you applying those to the original properties from your childhood? If you say you are, I'm saying you're a liar. And if you admit that you're not, you're kind of a hypocrite. Because the, the original properties don't survive that level of requiring perfection. Unless especially, it's the original. Especially once the plot holes start popping in because George sort of changed his mind on what he wanted to do for everybody's background and this and that and the other. Mm. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the original Ghostbusters, in which case. And, and that's why I, I still hold the, the first three films, the one, two, and three, not four, five, and six, as being not as bad as everybody says because the expectation and the the history and the love affair that we've had with those first three films is so great that no matter what they put out if 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 this movie if rogue one and, no, but the, and those those movies really were bad joel they really know well, but listen to me but if the force awakens and rogue one would have come out before those ever happened we might have had a little bit of that same kind of oh man they're never going to be the original trilogy granted those first three films are not stellar but they're entertaining and they do have some of that same feeling granted the force awakens and rogue one are far superior but i think we also had that 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 chance to kind of move past that expectation and so people could actually make the films that really those first three should have been yeah, and, and I, so, I think maybe the key difference is that the newer stuff has love and respect for the original, where in a lot of cases, the prequels and some of those things in those late 90s, early 2000s that we do bag on are like, okay, we're going to take this in a different direction. And, okay, they get points for trying, but I'm going to call you out if you try and you fail. Well, and I think the other thing is, is that because Lucas wasn't involved as much, 
Because you look at the original three, Lucas was trying to go back to the well. And even though he didn't direct them all, he was still at the helm at that point. And he may be fine with creatures and direction, but with real people and other, he's just not a director. And he's, 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 well, he's, not, an, he's not an actress director. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so in these films, you've got two directors um, that love the material that know how to work with actors, know how to direct a film and know how to make something that people are going to pay homage to what people wanted and what they love. So you're getting the films we would have made. Right. And it's also worth <clears> saying <throat> that empire strikes back and the best parts of Jedi uh, were all Lawrence Kasdan and all of the cringiest parts of Jedi are back to Lucas, yep. but then decades pass and all of a sudden he's the untouchable George Lucas and no one can tell him boo anymore. You don't have a Lawrence Kasdan who can come in and say, no, that's stupid. We're doing it this way. Or what's their face? His wife, the editor, I can't think of her name, Kathy uh, Kasdan. <laughs> no, uh, he's no, talking about uh, Lucas's wife. No, yeah. She, she edited, you know, his films and, once he started editing his own his own films, no, nope. <laughs> she was not around for the prequels. I do have to say, well, when one of the fun things about this was there was a lot of kids at this and listening to their chatter about it. But the number one comment on the way out is like one of the kids that I, that I heard is like, "Now everyone's dead." <laughs> <laughs> Even Michael was like, "Everyone, everyone's dead." That. And uh, I asked him, you know, one of the conversations in the car on the way home was, what was this? And I'm going to ask you guys, too. I know, even though I know Pat's answer, what was the saddest death in the movie? Both my girls said K2SO. I would agree with that myself. For me, it was Chirrut. Chirrut. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to go with Chirrut, too. Just because, I mean, I I loved his character so much. I mean, just with, I mean, he had the, he had Great lines. I love the way he fought with with Bays, the two of them together. I so wanted the two of them to to survive this. But you but know they're not going to. I knew they no. weren't going to. Yeah. And when when Chirrut was like, I, I can find this lever. I can turn this thing on. And he walks out into the battle chanting to himself. I was like, this is it. They're both, this is, I better get, get myself ready right now because this is where both these characters are dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's but, two too much canon there's too many uh, too much uh involved anymore that you can't introduce a whole new slew of characters and expect them to suddenly fold into the rest of the universe and i, well, I and if there are these huge heroes why aren't they involved on the death star run in a new hope right, right. Exactly. and and i got it and i understand why i mean i don't like it but i this was a one this was a one shot <laughs> it was it was a one shot and i i have to say that you know what oh Chirrut and bays they made a great they, the two of them together take, you know, you can tell that they've traveled together for a long time. They're good friends. You know, Baze has just had enough of Chirrut's constant positivity. You know, he's, you can tell that they've, you know, I, you know, I had it, I had it all under control. I saved you. <laughs> you can take it a step further where it's not explicit, but they exist in that Burton earning territory where they're not explicitly a couple. But if someone wanted to claim they were, I wouldn't have a whole lot of evidence to say you're wrong. Right. Well, that's a lot of people are saying that now. Are making I think Disney way. was very smart in the way they played that. They wanted to play it. So, okay, if you're gay and you want to see yourselves in these two guys, that's fine. But we know we'll alienate a certain amount of our audience if we make it explicit. So we're going to play it like this, right up the line. They, they, yeah. they left it 
very open to interpretation. And yeah. that's, and that's the same I with thought it was article. handled well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, this, and it's the same with this. I mean, how many other movies or stories or comic books or TV shows have we seen where you've got the huge warrior traveling with the wise and blind guy? You know, it's it's a trope, but you know, this one's just set in you know a long, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. I mean, it's I thought those two were fantastic. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that d- despite them all being dead. And the way it ended, there's still room for them to have their own stories separately from each other in other medium, other, you know, in, you novels know, and things. In this universe, you know, this was a story that, you know, was worth being told. And, you know, like the, the heroes that, that basically saved the rebellion, you know, I mean, it's. Well, what I, the whole point was, was hope. That was the whole point of the movie was. Yeah. What? What are you talking about? That the, the rebellion was built on hope, hence. I thought the point was Vader being a fucking badass. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) awesome. No, no, no. I was going to say, that was my transition. Wait, wait, wait. Before we get to that, Vader's badass castle. Right? Taken directly from a Ralph McQuarrie sketch. That was just... I mean, when when he flew in there, and I was like, when... um, uh, What was the, the general? Draven came in there. I was like, there's no way he's walking out of there. Nobody walks out of there. You go there, you die. Well, right. And you could tell where that was, right? That was yeah, on, the plan- on the planet where he fought uh, Kenobi. Yeah. Yes. His happy place is in a Bakta tank with a direct line of sight to the place where the man he used to be died. How fucked up is that? Yeah. Right? Like, that is just, that, that is so, like, emo in so many ways. <laughs> it's- well, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, no. Where else would fucking Darth Vader live, though? Come on. Yeah, I mean... Okay. You talk about a kid with issues. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll get the castle out of my system. When and, his lightsaber lit up at the end of the hallway, it was just like, oh, some shit's gonna go down. <laughs> yep. And then he and just started just kicking ass. None of us could have predicted exactly how that was gonna go down, because as a kid, you know, when you're you're playing with the action figures, yeah, okay, he's gonna kill everybody in the room but we never really saw it you just saw him kind of lumbering around and being he, he had a couple fight scenes but we never saw truly why people were afraid of him and in that that five minute sequence i was afraid of vader yeah yeah well and yeah. this is I mean, that, at the height of his evil and the height of his powers mm-hmm. i was gonna say and and that scene was almost like an, an erasing of everything every doubt that anybody ever had from hayden christensen's version of darth vader to whether or not this guy really was the badass that everybody says he is like that scene was like yeah vader's vader's the badass don't don't let hayden fool you (laughs) and it's very fortunate for the rebellion that i don't think at this point vader knew exactly how important the thing that they were passing from dead guy to dead guy was Yep. yeah (laughs) with that 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 guy at the door when he's like come on let's try to get this open let's you know maybe get this leverage in the All right, we really got to get this open now. (laughs) And you get that sense of, I mean, you felt like those people in that room. You felt trapped because you knew that if you didn't get out of there, you're not going to survive that. Yeah. And it was very, very well done out, done as far as setting that level of intensity. When he's, when he's beating one down with his lightsaber with one hand and the other hand is holding one and crushing the guy on the ceiling. You know, and then throws the body into another guy. I mean, just and just kind of backhands his lightsaber across the ceiling to open up and gut the dude who's 
up there. Yeah. Just casually, like he's picking the arms off of flies. Yeah. That's I mean, a, that's you could exactly have the subtitle it. for this being Star Wars happened. Here's a million times it almost didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just good insane. stuff. All right. So do you think we've milked this Bantha dry? Well, I just wanted to say one other thing. It's it's nice now to have that that placeholder where if you were to watch the entire saga as it lives now, once this comes out on Blu-ray or whatever, you can watch it from episode one to episode seven, and there's a sense of flow to it. For those we'll of cut, us who don't we'll watch Rebels or... I was yeah, going to say, right. you could probably also cut episode one and just watch from two to seven, and you don't really miss anything. Right? Yeah, I've heard no, that theory before. But I'm saying you, you, there, there, there's now one consistency to it, which we've always kind of wondered. And if you don't read the books and you don't play the games and you don't watch the TV shows, you may not know. And so now it's nice to have that because now you can picture the whole story. Well, and they're filling in all the gaps. I mean, it, you've got the entire run of the Clone Wars, and then you've got the run of Rebels, which fills in like the gaps between Episode 3 and Rogue One, and the gaps between Episode 2 and Episode 3. And we're also going to get a Han Solo movie uh, in two years that are, is going to show his journey to become the smuggler. So they've got a lot of places to play. And Disney has said that with Lucasfilm, they are going to give us a Star Wars movie every year until they stop making money. Well, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and for everybody who is afraid of of Disney taking over, I think they're handling it in in the smartest way they could in terms of fan service um, and still getting the bottom line met that they wanted. Yes, ruining a classic property is not a way to print money. Disney is very, very good at taking these characters and making them make money for decades. And so long as they continue to make products of this quality, I'm going to be there every December. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right. There you go. So thumbs down across the board on the front end and thumbs up on the, across the board on the back end here. All right, so the qu- I, I don't even think that's a question that needs to be answered. I, yeah. think it's yeah. very I know Joel was talking about this being a very divisive episode. I was like, what the hell is he smoking? I just meant that we're so polarly hating the first and so much loving the, the new one. Oh, okay. Here's, here's the question that I want to ask then. Where does this rank in your list oh. of movies, of all the Star Wars movies? Bastard. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I've tried not to think about it. top three. Mm. I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Mm. I would say it is it is... Empire, and then I would honestly maybe say this might be better than the original episode four. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you on that. Where this, uh, I had said that uh, when the Force Awakens came out, I said better than Jedi, uh, not as good as a New Hope, but better than Jedi. This I'm going to put just a little ahead of the Force Awakens, not by much. And it gets to the point where I have to sit down and think and maybe watch them a few more times over a series of years to determine, was this better than A New Hope for me or not? I'm not sure of the answer, but they're neck and neck. I, the only I, way I, I can tell is if I sit down and watch all of them one right after the other. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that myself too someday. <sighs> See, Empire will always be my favorite. I uh, just the Hoth battle scene alone is is my the the moment of Star Wars that made me love the entire franchise unabashedly. Sure, but, mm-hmm. the bars are impossibly high. I think we can all agree on that. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I think Empire is, is definitely number one. However, I think New Hope still holds a second position. Pro- probably as much for nostalgia's sake as for setting the the tone for the entire franchise, and in the third position, uh, the the two newest ones are right there neck and neck because uh, the Force Awakens I've watched several times and it's been a long time since I've done that with any movie, let alone a Star Wars film. But I can put that one in any time and enjoy it, and I have a feeling this one will be the same way. And I don't know that I can pick one over the other right now, so I would put those both in three. I personally think this was better than Force Awakens. And I really liked Force Awakens and I really liked Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Is this this is definitely for me. It's not like far ahead in the lead of Force Awakens. No, no, no. Yeah. If you've got a wide gulf between Empire and everything else, and then you've got Force Awakens, New Hope, and Rogue One all kind of jockeying for second place in my mind. Well, and then what? Return of the Jedi, and then we start going three, two, one. Pretty much two, three, one for me. Mm. But uh, I, I, I know that two has some pretty cringy stuff in it, but it also has uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, Private Investigator, which gives it major points. As far as the original, the yeah, first you, you, you like that gumshoe detective t- type of movie, though. Love it. See, two, yeah, two felt like they were ripping off Blade Runner, and I'm not a huge Blade Runner fan anyway, but. Um, one, two, and three, the best parts are Obi-Wan Kenobi, honestly. Yeah, 100%, yes. I mean, if I could watch, if it would have been the Obi-Wan Kenobi story, I would have loved the shit out of him if they would have left out some of the other stuff. But no, Well, not to mention just Ewan McGregor is just a fucking amazing actor. Right. I mean, I, I, I'd say I'd almost put three, one, two after Jedi. All right. You would put one ahead <laughs> of two? There's something about it that just is stupidly fun. Jake and Lloyd, two, like you, you're a big Jake Lloyd fan. No, it just you got this and you go all the way as posters in your bedroom. Two, <laughs> I do. How'd you know? Um, no, two just felt too like it was too much, and it was too much of that city detective thing that that Josh appreciated. That I just it fell really flat for me. It, it took me out of it. It was too much. It just wasn't Star Wars. Yeah, and I think what ruined three for me is how much worse the Emperor looked in that movie than he did in a movie that was made almost thirty years earlier. Right. I did that did annoy me too. It just got me and I couldn't get past it. I like, wanted to like, get a really good plastic surgeon in the in the interim. I, I he he looked like a Muppet to me. But he, you know, he looked like he had a, a, a butt on his on his forehead. <laughs> you know what it is with the Force Awakens that maybe puts it ahead of rogue one to me is that it, it, it from start to finish it just goes and it's it's fun and it has all the 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 dark moments and the the other stuff but it, it just rolls For, rogue one is a bit more of a a slow burn and it's got a lot more of that 70s and 80s pacing to it which is great because they paid super close attention to detail and everything that went into the original four five and six and they made it work beautifully. And oh, you just reminded me of something super important that I forgot to talk about. Uh-oh. There you go. They rescued some cutting room floor footage. Uh, when you've got uh, female X-Wing pilots, they didn't just decide, hey, let's get some ladies in here uh, to make it uh, more representationally appropriate for 2016. That is actually footage that they shot for A New Hope that got cut. Oh wow! The suits decided no one's going to buy a woman as a starfighter pilot, huh. 
and huh. they rescued the one that, that footage. Even the one that looked like Helen Mirren, they wouldn't buy that. In fact, she was the one that made it to the movie. Although they uh, put shots in where you couldn't see her voice, her face uh, very well, and changed <laughs> her voice, made a guy voice her lines. Huh. That's a pat word, voice. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't see her face, and they messed with her voice. Her voice. But yeah, that was something that I thought was so cool is that uh, they rescued that and reversed a terrible decision from uh, the late seventies. I heard that the ladies like, finally got their due. I'd heard that, but I didn't. I didn't know exactly in what way. So I'm glad they you got, knew that. They got an X wing of their own. Well, and that once again just proves that they're really paying tribute to and uh, appreciating what came before and not trying to forge their own path. An homage, if you will. And I will. I'm homaging right now. <laughs> May the force be with us. All right. So uh, what do we have on tap for next week? Gentlemen? Next week, our winter show. Yeah, we've done seasons. Uh, we've done uh, holidays, but not seasons. And winter sucks. So let's bitch about it. That sounds good. <laughs> Talk about, uh, you know, snow days I- back then, snow days now. If uh, you want to give us a call and uh, talk about how I screwed up and didn't realize Ponda Baba was Aqualish or thought <laughs> we didn't talk about mustaches enough when we talked about uh, the 70s in Rogue One, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And if you're looking for us on online anywhere, find us at our home on the web at 40go14.com or on Facebook and Twitter at 40go14. All right, guys. I want to go back and watch it again. <laughs> uh, me too. It's, I'm the forced. Uh, also, it has broken. It's almost at. It's broken four hundred million dollars. I think. I'm definitely going to see it again. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's had a huge, huge, huge opening. All right. So, well, everybody, <laughs> Merry Life Day, and may the force be with you. I love all of you guys like family. How many times did you have to say that? To- and go hug a Wookiee. Oh, I believe oh. I'm about to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if that's the legacy you want to leave and you're good with that, hey, that's cool. You know, that's cool. That's fine. That's fine. We can we can change it, you know. Change it for I, baby. Change it for baby. Put baby in the corner and then, and then change it for her. It, it's all right. I, I learned giving up from you. Oh. <laughs> oh, I feel like I just got punched in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs>